All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo, episode 249. Excited to get into this one. I'm actually on vacation or about to be, so I'm going to make this intro quick and efficient. Um, we've got Carson Woods on this show. Uh, we're breaking uh, the mold a little bit to get away from our normal sales content um, and follow another millennial that's uh, getting after it in a, in a different space a space that is creating a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise and confusion and um, hope and uh, possibility uh, in NFTs and in crypto. Uh, Carson Woods is the chief experience officer at 888, the new world. She's an NFT and crypto evangelist. Uh, so again, a little bit off of the normal track, but we talk about her experience. Uh, she just moved from Vermont to California, took a new job, dove deeper into the crypto uh, and into the NFT world. Um, talk about her manifesting her different jobs in very unique ways uh, and talk about, you know, the legacy and, and platform she's building and, and how she builds a very particular brand, which I think is very interesting. So uh, without further ado, let's get to that. Um, let's give a quick shout out actually to our sponsor. we got Postal.io, the OGs, that sponsored this show, uh, Postal helps you to create a more meaningful experience with your customers, helps you send very personalized things to them, uh, customers, prospects, partners. Uh, so instead of a Starbucks gift card, it could be you know something from the local brewery across town or their local florist or a way to really create a meaningful connection. So when we're not out hitting the streets uh, as salespeople and we're all working remote for the most part, uh, this is a great way to break through the mold. So check them out at postal.io. Um, and I'm excited to get into this conversation with Carson Woods. Let's go. All right, Carson, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am doing well. I'm coming uh, off of a week of vacation with the July 4th and it's Friday morning. So it's all good here. How about you? Oh, so, so, so good. Yeah, it was, it felt like this was like the first week back. Last week we had like slow starts. It was good. Leaned in a little bit. I feel like yeah. this, I'm like, I don't even know what the date is today, but <laughs> it's the, the days are just really flying by. Really flying. Yeah. Oh my God. The July 4th week was this past week. Okay. This was a short week. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we, we've got a lot of uh, good serious meaty topics to get into but before we do that uh, I have to build some rapport with you about deer antlers on cars during the holidays and our I think our mutual hatred of them I can't stand this like I cannot stand this and the most shocking to me was like this past Christmas I was able to get out of Vermont. It was the first time that I traveled, like, because we were still kind of like coming off, like, you know, the COVID was like, hopefully in the rear view, but I came to California to spend Christmas with my family here for two weeks. It was the first time I traveled in a year, I think. And I was in Malibu like a couple days before Christmas. And they were like the most beautiful cars, like, really cool cars in perfect condition like all shiny and I'm like you have reindeer antlers on your car why <laughs> like go I love Christmas lights on houses I love trees and windows like do you have to put like do you have to put reindeer antlers on your car no I think that they're it's so bad I hate this it is, 
The same goes with the little red nose. Oh my God, it's horrible. And it's even more <laughs> offensive. It's even more offensive when they are kept on through like, if I see that shit in like February or March, like I'm like, yeah. stop, please. It's enough. That's, yeah, that's terrible. That's terrible. Um, so if anyone's listening that does that, we are judging you very hard. We need you to stop. <laughs> stop doing that. <laughs> um, well, well, I'm excited to to talk with you about a lot of things and, and really get a background on on your career to start. And I think the story of you, you know, how you landed your first job out of yeah. school, right, um, coming out of Vermont, is super interesting. So I'd love to maybe start there and just kind of share how you how you did that and how you kind of like. <laughs> faked it, I guess, uh, to land a, a really great opportunity early on. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's true. I really did fake it. And I, the the moral of the story will be like, fake it until you make it. But so I grew up in Vermont and I went to college at Castleton University. I had a great time. I studied um, mass media communication, specializing in public relations, which was like a scam. Super Castleton owes me because there was no public relations (laughs) happening in Castleton, Vermont, but, um, and my minor was in women's and gender studies, which I eventually went on to double major in. And so there was a lot of study about like pop culture in media communication. And especially like when you think about sociology and women's and gender studies. So I, I graduated, I, I was confident that I was gonna move out of Vermont finally, and I was gonna go work at like a PR firm or an agency, doing event marketing, something like in a big city. Um, and I started to apply like probably 50 jobs a day. And I just didn't feel like I was standing out. Like I was so depleted, I was so down. And you know, they, they were taking interviews all the time, but they'd be like, can you come in in the next three days? And I couldn't just like buy a plane ticket to go to, you know, LA or New York or Austin, Texas or Nashville or wherever. So I was really just like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have like a temp position answering phones for the Burlington school district, like miserable. And I saw this company called Super Plastic um, that was hiring for a director of marketing and they were located and they were like headquartered in Burlington. And I kind of, you know, they were presenting themselves as a character based um, product and toy company. And I wasn't really, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with like the designer toy world or collectibles world, but I kind of understood that they were building this, um, this Banksy-esque kind of uh, persona around one of their toys. So they were hiring for a director of marketing and I wrote this cover letter um, that was talking about how I had a um, an Instagram account for my dogs and that my dogs would actually review alcohol. Like they would go to these world's famous bars and they would um, kind of give the drinks critiques and they all had their own voices that they wrote in and they all, you know, had their own taste. Like Pearl loved, you know, my ties and loved rum-based drinks and vodka-based drinks. And my, my dog Rye loved whiskey, obviously. And Gemma loved like the trashy, like the, the Long Island iced teas, the dive bars, whatever. And I said that I had like a million and a half followers. I've been running the account for a year. I linked- I've linked to a page (laughs) and at the end of the cover letter I wrote, plus I have eight years of marketing experience. That was it. Well, none of that was true at all. 
and I, I got an interview. Like I, I had literally, this was like the essence of no fucks given. Like I was like, I don't even care if anybody reads this. Like I'm confident nobody's reading my cover letters that I'm like agonizing over just begging people to see that I'm a good fit for their company. So I, um, I sent it in a couple of days later, have an interview and I'm like, Oh shit, like this is going to be, and I walk in, I'm like 22 years old at this time. Right. And I, I go to have an interview with, um, with their team and they were like, and I immediately before I even sat down, I was like, none of it's true. And they were like, excuse (laughs) me. And I was like, none of it's true. And they were like, you don't and I was like the Instagram doesn't exist and they were like what (laughs) the hell and I was like but what is true is that I have had marketing experience for the last eight years and they were like how so and I was like well I started in my space when I was 15 and they were like what I was like yeah I've been marketing myself since young age I was like I'm still grounded for it so you know long story short is that like what they were trying to do. And if people aren't familiar with super plastic, it's really the very first animated character universe to become famous using social media as primary distribution platform for all of its content. So each post on Instagram or TikTok is more or less an episode of these characters lives. And um, then, you know, with super plastic, what we ended up doing, and these characters hadn't like existed as of yet. Like when I started to work there, it was really just the toy company. So because I went in and I was hired, not as the director of marketing, but as like a social media coordinator, um, I was employee number three there. And I realized that the, the CEO, Paul Budnitz, who's super genius, like love him still like such good, um, good, good, good relationship with Superplastic. I co-worked out of their office and I was in Vermont a couple of weeks ago. Um, he didn't actually know how to use social media. Like he knew yeah. the power of it. So I really got to work hand in hand with him and help to develop the stories of the characters and their identities, what they wore, how they, you know, interacted with each other, what their relationships were, how they would interact with their fans at the time. And that that ended up like evolving my position and I was promoted eventually to head of story and narrative. And I was coming up with all of the pitches and and these characters, life stories and kind of memories and posts and really rooting them in pop culture and, and took super plastic from 30,000 followers when I started working there to 6 million Uh, there and the team, you know, grew, I went through two fundraising rounds with them it was so awesome. And, and what we realized is like, we always, and Paul loved to tell people the story about how I lied on my resume and cover letter, because what I did was exactly what he wanted for the company, you know, to create a story, to create a character. And that character was a lot of ways myself. It was also my dogs. It was also, you know, this, this professional persona of mine, this like influencer character that I had created. And you know, that was the position that he, you know, wanted me to fill. And I ended up, you know, being, I was bold enough to, to do that. And it was just really like a fun experience. And it, it made me realize that like, you're, there's nothing like interviews and like applications work both ways. Like you have to, you're applying for a job, but like, you're also 
like kind of, they're kind of applying for you too. Right. And to just kind of be yourself and be bold and to, you know, create something like, how would you act in that role? Like, that's how I wanted to act in that role. I wanted to tell stories. And one of my first responsibilities when I started working there was I was writing toy descriptions, even before I was writing character narrative. So I would write, you know, everybody can see a toy and it's like, that's cool. Like, I might buy that. But a lot of times it's pre-order or, you know, you're just seeing like an image of the toy. You're not going into a store because we didn't have a brick and mortar at that time. So you're not going into that store and picking up that toy and being like, I want this. So I would yeah. use these toy descriptions to like root the car- the toys themselves, the product in a world where people thought it was, you know, funny or fun or relatable or cool. Like I would say, you know, Ovnik, Janky Ovnik was a bartender on the set of Miami Vice and all this <laughs> stuff, like random things. But the, that storytelling, like right from the beginning when I applied is ultimately like what helped me to be like promoted and grow within that position at Superplastic. Yeah, so. I, I love that story. And I'm curious you're talking about, you know, you've created kind of these fake personas from the characters, right? And that's how you grew, what, like 200 times bigger in terms of like the follower count. I'm curious, like, is that the same mentality that you use, like for your own personal brand, like that you, you kind of have like an alter ego or a character or like traits that you're trying to, to highlight or to, you know, kind of show to the world? Like, is that how you think about it? Or am I getting too deep? Yeah, no, you're not getting too deep. And it's something that I've thought about a lot. You know, I think um, when I worked at Superplastic, it was so easy for me to build kind of my own like Superplastic car, like this character, like in my entire, my personal like accounts and Instagrams were just like the embodiment basically of like what it meant to eat, sleep, and breathe super plastic. And I felt like that was important at the time because our characters were animated and like the representation of the brand was, you know, these animated characters that people really loved and they did really relate to. But the, you know, humanization of that was super important. So I think I definitely did that. And it was really difficult for me when I decided to leave super plastic because I was kind of like, well, who am I? And how do I kind of, how do I move into this world? And even, you know, toward the end and probably I would say like the last, you know, six or even nine months at super plastic, it got really hard because um, so much of my identity and my following, like on my personal channels was due to super plastics community. And, you know, I, I told this story the other day, so I'm like feeling kind of vulnerable and I'll share it, but I actually got written up once at, at Superplastic and I, um, at Superplastic, they're so awesome. Like there's this, there's this, um, method in the company where if you make a mistake, you actually, you admit to it and you spin this wheel and the wheel has prizes on it. And the theory (laughs) behind it is that like when people make mistakes or when they fuck up, like they, you, you try to fix it yourself. Like, especially if it's in a company in a team setting. And a lot of times because you're already like pressured and, and like inhibited by the, um, by like the mistake or like the fear or what if somebody finds out, how do I fix this? You tend to like get in this spiral of like Mm -hmm. digging yourself deeper. So when you tell somebody, if I was like, Tom, I fucked up, like, 
you, since you're not feeling like that embarrassment or shame, like you're able to have a, a bigger picture, like view of it all. So right. I think that, you know, that super plastic always encouraged that, which was awesome. But I really fucked up because like there was some, I, I saw this like meme trend going around and I thought it was really funny. So, and a lot of people were in the super plastic community were upset about this, what they had this chase janky, which like if you're not in collectibles, a chase is something that's not shown. Like it's an, it's a collectible that you don't know that it's in the box. So okay. you open it up and it's not like when you're talking about blind boxes, usually you have them printed of like, here's the possibilities and the ratios of what's inside. And a chase is like, you don't, you've never seen it before. So there was this chase that was leaked and nobody was getting it. People were buying blind boxes off the shelves and nobody was pulling it. And um, I posted this meme and it was like the one where the stick figure is like leaning over to like the girl crying. And it's like, damn shoddy. And I was like, damn shoddy, you want the home and garden little cranky. And like, because our community was like, really upset because lots of COVID shipping delays, gorillas toys were delayed, everything was, and I posted that and I thought it was so funny, but really like, it was so irresponsible of me because I wasn't paying attention to like what was going on in like the community back channels because I had, you know, at this point I was the director of brand development. I wasn't in the telegram groups. I wasn't, you know, going through DMS anymore. And people were really upset and I was really like reckless with my position. And it, it made, you know, the, the conversation that we had was like, you can't do both. Like you are in this position where you're kind of representing and embodying the brand and you can't do that and be yourself and do things that you think are funny because it's going to hurt people. So I think like that, that taught me a lot. And now, you know, this character for me is like, I, I want to lean into always like, you know, how to share resources and information and like education around crypto and NFTs and like share that excitement in my life, but also like be a real person. And yeah. I think I, I get mixed up a lot, like, especially on Twitter, like one day on Twitter, I'll be like, ranting and raving about like drops and nfts and like dropping gems and knowledge bombs or whatever and the next day i'm like tequila shots <laughs> like, <laughs> you know but it's important and it's a tough it's a tough um it's a tough way to find a balance like how do you be yourself and i think as as people grow their own brands like especially on social they're gonna have a challenging time because you want to produce or like curate yourself Right. for an audience but like also you have to kind of like be true to yourself and I think that duality or like the complexity of who people are like makes them more relatable and more human yeah well I think you have to you can't just be dropping knowledge bombs all day long right and and posting you know the filtered filtered picture of you in the yeah. sunset or like you have to share some of the behind the scenes stuff to make yourself more relatable okay. like I, I feel like the first example that comes to my mind, just in terms of like pop culture is like The Rock. Everyone loves The Rock. Everyone follows him on Instagram. And one of the reasons I love it is because I just love watching his cheat meals once a week. Like, yeah, it's cool when he's lifting a lot of weights and stuff like that. And that's inspiring. But I want to see him eat like 24 pancakes. Like that, for some reason, I just get like a kick out of that. I love it so much. It's so funny. I mean, you know, and I've said this a couple of times when people are always like, what? It's like, I always see like one eyebrow raise, but I'm like, we're 
all like already like digital avatars. Like those, those posts on Instagram, the tweets, whatever, like, you know, even talking on like Clubhouse or like that's a, and that's an avatar. Like you already are because you're just sharing this like one constructed moment of like crypto media. That's yeah. what, that's essentially what's like Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. It's just happening on a centralized platform that's owned by Facebook or Byte or whatever. Like that is your digital avatar. So we can have, you know, dif- we can have some, we can differentiate between that. But like, it's nice to show like range and it's nice to be kind of more open. And that's why it's so important to like, get on the phone, like call people, like meet in person yeah. how that we can like remember because it, it's going to help, you know, a lot of people will, will find like these differences. And I think that social media and, and like these quick, like bites of content of like, this is who I am can be really dangerous, but they're also like super important because you're fully in control of that story. Yeah. And th- so I'm curious when you're talking about community, right? There's, there's a distinction between like you have an audience or you have Mm -hmm. followers, right? And then you're building a community. And I see like in the, in the B2B technology world, like community led growth is like a huge thing that people are focused on. And I think people definitely mistake that sometimes with, you know, a follower count or something like that versus a true community. I'd love for you to expound on that a little bit and, and from your definitely. experience. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I um I at one point I was like my one of my job responsibilities at Superplastic was community management. And when I first moved to LA, I was um consulting as the head of community for a company called Crucible that's essentially building like the the very first like open metaverse with like a software developer kit and I I talk about community um, a lot and I think one of the the biggest problems is that a lot of people think about community like a pyramid and you have like the brand on the top and then that first row is like you know your investors or like your top patrons or top customers and then you have like your super engaged followers or like the followers that you have that are influencers and then below and like it kind of breaks down and then there's these people on the bottom row who just like really like what you're doing and but maybe they can't afford to you know you can't they can't convert to customers for whatever reason or they don't become you know users or whatever the the distinction or like justification of that is but I think that's really dangerous. And like, that's where really the, the, that is the definition of like an audience and you kind of have that model. Like to me, community is like a flat road Mm -hmm. and like, it's this, and everybody is standing at their different like pickup points along that road and the brand is driving the bus and like picking people up and figuring out like, okay, how do we all get to be a part of this and keep moving forward and really like, I, I think, you know, I, we mentioned this like in kind of like a pre-show while we were talking is that I think back to like community of like cave people days or like colonial people, like whatever, you know, where everybody has a job in a role. And I think that we can't like put one person's contribution over the other because you're really missing out. And I feel that 
with when it comes to building community, the more you can incentivize people and like get them to be invested, the more that you're going to like unlock and scale your growth. Because if I, you know, if I'm somebody who like really loves your podcast and loves what you're doing, and I feel like I've been given this opportunity to engage, and it can be as simple as being like, hey, you know, recommend somebody for the show. If we pick that person for the show, like you, we're going to ask you to send in like a little like video or a clip just talking about why you love them. And we're going to use it at the pre-show or we're going to use it in social media or promo content. Like that makes me feel like I've invested or engaged, even if I don't get picked, like the possibility or the option is so important. And I think what it also does is it means that when somebody else gets chosen, I'm going to be excited for them because I know that I've been like experiencing and and kind of indulging in that same feeling or uh, that excitement or anticipation of them. So, you know, with, with community, you have to, and especially growth, that's where you differentiate between an audience because an audience has like one call to action, which is just like, engage or buy and I've you know so spend like it really just comes down to like spend whether you're spending your time whether you're spending your money whatever when it comes to community it's like truly the difference is invest like Mm -hmm. invest your time invest your money like we're gonna invest back into you and we can build that together and especially like identifying people within your community who are maybe building their own little micro communities or micro audiences, because if everybody has their own little bubble that they're working on, like we can bring them all together. And that's what was, what was really important about what Crucible was doing is that they were going out and like together we were identifying leaders of, of these micro communities or even large communities like Queens gaming or like women in games or all of these, you know, people like, communities that are focused on making games more accessible and inclusive for people with disabilities, like Mm. finding those communities and working with those leaders to be like, Hey, how can we make our space, um, you know, accessible to you and interesting to you and then letting them participate and engage and help build that. And then they'll bring their communities in too. Like that's how you really scale and grow. Yep. I love that. And I want to do a quick pivot because you mentioned something in passing before we started um, about expanders um, yeah. as types of people. I, I, and we didn't really get too far into it. So I'd love for you to kind of talk about that concept because I have an th- idea of what it means, but I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about it. For a okay, cool. Yeah, this is a, a concept that I've gotten from another podcast that I love to listen to. It's the, um, it's Lacey Phillips to be magnetic podcast. And Lacey is really like an awesome manifester. And I'm, I think that like, you know, there's different types of manifesting. A lot of people think about like, I'll speak it into existence or like the secret or whatever that is. But really, I think that it's just about kind of envisioning yourself, like seeing yourself in places before you arrive, because when you set, and I think this is true for anything, whether it's tangible or intangible, when you set a goal, everything that you do is going to be toward that goal. So even if, if that's a sales goal, if that's a follower goal, if that's, you know, an intangible goal, like moving to LA or, you know, having, getting your dream job, like when you set that and everything that you do every day is going to start to build on that. So 
that's kind of the core of Lacey's kind of teachings or models. But in her program and in the way that she thinks about it, she also talks about this concept of expanders and what an expander is and why it's a powerful kind of theory is that you, when you listen to people and you see people in these places and you really get to know their path and their story, you can see clearly that there is like, it, it kind of inspires this feeling of like, well, why not me? Like if they can do it, I can do it. And I feel like that's expansive because if you see somebody like, okay, here's a story of how, you know, I think that's why I love the pictures of like Steve Jobs or like Elon in like a dorm room or like a garage yeah. or like something, yeah. because you, you see like, oh, I'm there too. Like here I am like working out of my office in my like 600 square foot apartment or whatever. Yeah. That's like really in a closet or you see how people grow and evolve. And this is like, also it's interesting. Cause I feel like I've been practicing this, um, a lot in my life because even with super plastic, my like main strategy when, when Paul was like, okay, we need to, these, these characters are going to become celebrities. Like yeah. how did they become celebrities? So what I did is I looked at celebrities. I looked at you know, Kim Kardashian. And I looked at, um, you know, Kanye and I looked at The Rock and I looked at people and I was like, what are their stories? How did they, what's the timeline of their lives? Like, where were these pinnacle moments for them? And I created kind of like this blueprint and told our characters stories in a way that felt like they were elevating to this like celebrity status. And I think in the same way for ourselves, when we think about somebody that's in this amazing position or that's really like you know has the, you know I wish I had their job or I wish I had their life or I wish I had their relationship like you can even get like into romantic relationships like you look at what steps they took and it shows like well that's not that far off for me and like that's that's really expansive so I think there's always kind of an opportunity to to think about those things and you know I think about like expanders for me and that it, it could be anybody like it doesn't have to be a super famous person like I I love like there's a lot of women in my life that I look up to as mentors that you know they made these career pivots or they had these big changes and or they had the rug pulled out from under them and I'm like well what did they do in that time and like that to me was like, I focused on their stories and that was expansive to me because I was like, I can pivot and I can leave this amazing job that I'm employee number three at. I'll probably never get fired from. Like I'll be here until the wheels fall off, but I have this feeling like I've hit my ceiling and like, I'm, I'm, I could be out there doing something like something's calling to me, but there's a fear and there's this like sense of instability or like unknown, you know, how can I, who are the people in my life that I know, or that I don't know that have been in the same position and what happened to them after that. And like, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. And so like in, in practice, like, did you, I might be making this up, but did you, when you left super plastic, right. Did you just move to LA? I know you just got the recent role at, at 888, but like, did yeah. you have that lined up or did you no. just move out and say, I'm, I'm going to figure it out? Yeah, I am. Um, 
So the story is that, so super plastic, um, you know, my last year there was crazy. I would say my last like nine months was crazy. Um, in August of last year, I got a call from Nifty Gateway, who is, you know, obviously like right now the leading marketplace for NFTs and, and yep. digital art. Um, I got a call from Nifty Gateway and they were like, you know, telling me they're like NFTs and blockchain and Wisby and talking about all these people. And I was like, okay, okay. But again, kind of like with Super Plastic, when I applied for the job, I just kind of got it. I was like, got it. Crypto media, animation, we're already doing that. Release this NFT, sell it on blockchain. Who cares? I was like, fine, that's good. Moved it through to our to our head of sales. Um, I was like, at that time, now I can announce, like, I just closed crazy things. Like, I had just pitched Fortnite on which I didn't even know I was really pitching them but they reached out and they were like we want to have a call we want to get to know your characters I think at that during that meeting our the super plastic creative director uh Galen McCammy who was like my my literal counterpart when it came to like any partnerships we would do the one-two punch one I think he had like an overlap and he couldn't come so I took the call by myself um I was feeling really good. We just closed a deal with like one of the dream collaborators that I'd had since I started working there, which I can't say. Um, and I was really just like reeling. And as these months passed, I was, um, I had, I had closed a deal with Fortnite. We had closed the deal with Gucci. Uh, we had all these great toy collabs and I just felt like I was like, I was really not inspired. Like I was so distracted at work. Like I was really, I felt like I like thinking back now, it's like, I really had a bad attitude. Like I was mm. not doing well. And I think it was because I was like, like I said before, I hit my ceiling and I started to get like really upset. And I started to like, not understand what I was doing there or why I couldn't break out of this funk. And I thought, Oh, maybe I'm burnt out or maybe I'm this. And one weekend I just woke up on like a Saturday morning at like five in the morning. And I was like, I have to quit my job. Mm. And I was like, I mean, like, like even talking about it, I'm like, makes me want to cry again. Cause I was like, I have to quit my job. Like I'm, I hate it in Vermont. Like I hate, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'd had this conversation with Paul and told him that I didn't want to be in Vermont. And he greenlit a move to LA to like start a satellite office for super plastic, which I thought would make all my like worries and troubles go away, but it really didn't. So the whole weekend, I literally like couldn't, this voice was so loud in my head. Like I'm, I have to quit my job. I have to quit my job. And I, on Monday morning, I, w I was in there and I was shaking. Like I was literally on the verge of tears. I couldn't do anything at like nine 30, Paul walks in and I just immediately run out of my office and trail behind him. And he hadn't even put his bag down. And I was like, I have to talk to you. And he was like, what's up? And I said, I have to quit. And he was like, okay. Like, and he was like, well, you know, his response was, well, I'm heartbroken, but like, let's do this. Like, what do you need to do? Where do you want to go? And I was like, I'm going to move to LA. And he's like, when? And I said, I bought a one-way plane ticket. It leaves in 10 days. <laughs> and he was like, what the fuck, Carson? <laughs> but, you know, that was, I was kind of just like, I have no clue what I'm going to do. Like, I, you know, I just was like, I know I need to go be there. Like, I was like, I'll stay in hotels. Like, I had a shipping container that was coming to get, like, the very few things that I had in Vermont that I was going to bring with me that was set to arrive, like, 10 days after I got to LA. So, I was like, I have 10 days to get an address. Yeah. And... But as the literally the day that I quit, 
I, I told one person and I think that like, there was this like ripple that like went across the universe because I got a call from somebody that was like, I had spoken to before and they were like, Hey, you know, just wondering, like, I'm not sure what your contract is like with super plastic, but if you don't have a non-compete and you can consult, like, we'd love to have you consult for us. And I was like, what is consulting? (laughs) (laughs) And I, so I started to talk to people and I got it like before, like by the time I got to LA, like, I think I had like three consulting jobs, like ready to start. And I was so like excited about the opportunity. And, and I ended up like one of the people that I started consulting for Marty Kulner, who's like a a completely legendary, um, director, creative, you know, he was an early employee at HBO. He, I ended, I started consulting for him on his like strategy and how he wanted to bring his like iconic content to the metaverse and to, into the crypto space and NFTs. And, you know, we ended up coming up with this idea and like, now I'm a partner in this company with him and his son and I'm still consulting for them. And, and I consulted for a bunch of people, but that was not, I was convinced I was never going to get a full-time job again. Cause I was like, this is so awesome, but consulting is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, so I was so, it, it was amazing when I met 888 and who is a, a, an amazing anonymous crypto art collector. He has an insane collection. He's has a really amazing story. And um, we were so aligned on like the philosophy and the vision and optimism for, um, you know, this, this digital future. And we also shared the same kind of um, discontentment and like critique of how it was happening now. And the fact that like this, the digital art marketplaces and the NFT space was really being driven by VCs and tech companies when it's supposed to be like, it's about art, it's about creativity, it's about opportunity. Like even outside of NFTs being used right now to kind of, you know, back or, or verify ownership of an art piece, there's so much more that like, we will need the VCs and we'll need those tech companies, we'll need all that. But like the creatives are kind of leading this digital revolution right now. And he was like, I want you to come work for me like full time. And I couldn't say no. So and now I'm, I went from employee number three at Super Plastic to employee number one at 88 yeah. the world, which is pretty sick. That's awesome. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, the, the last topic I want to get into you is, uh, is networking. I see you're a, you've, uh, are a self-proclaimed savage networker. I've seen uh, a picture, I think of you with Snoop Dogg. I saw <laughs> Harris Hilton was retweeting you when you got your new job. So I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? So what's your, like, what's your, what's your strategy um, with that of like getting so high up, you know, thank you. Well, I do love Snoop Dogg. That was awesome. That was a connection through DJ Hoot Kid, who's a investor at Super Plastic and Paris is so cool. Like, I think, you know, I will say a lot of this stuff recently has been like through Clubhouse, like that, that was really an awesome like opportunity. But even before that, I really felt like I was a savage networker. And I think what it is, is like, I am so uh, like, I'm, I have to be fearless. Like I have to walk up to people and just like talk to them and introduce myself to them. And, you know, I, 
I think like one of my favorite quotes is the person in the room with the most range has the most power. And I think that means like being able to, can you go from talking to, you know, the person who is plating your dinner and Paris Hilton in the same and, and talk about the exact same thing and speak to them with the same amount of like respect and intent and like empathy and get them to understand your message. Like whether you're talking about yourself or you're talking about NFTs or whatever, like I just want that one person to like get me and like connect with me. And then, you know, that, that savage networker part really plays hand in hand with this like super connector, which is that like your network becomes so much more powerful when you bring people together. Mm. Like I have been, you know, at super plastic, like I feel like a lot of the people that work there, like I recommended to work there. Like I hired my best friend from college to be my assistant there, like, like three or four months before I left. And now she's basically doing my entire job of like what I was doing there. Like she's running it. Like she's complete badass. And I think like, I, I always am. So I have such intent with people and I don't introduce people to companies that they're not good fits for. And I don't introduce companies to people that aren't a good fit for them. Like, because that really builds your network of credit in, in terms of credibility. And mm-hmm. I think that like, you have to be able, you know, so many people are focused on like, I got to talk to this one person. Like I got to get connected to Elon or I got to get connected yeah. to, <laughs> but you can start it anywhere. And like, I am, I think I like to say that like, there's nobody better at finding things out on the internet than a millennial woman. (laughs) And I think like, you know, so many of like the, the brand collaborations and partnerships that I've gotten for super plastic came from a DM, like me just being like, yo, want to collab? Like, that's it. Like looking at, you know, people look on LinkedIn and I think they try to connect with like, I'm going to try to connect with the CEO of Rock Nation because I, or the CEO of, and like, those aren't the people that are on LinkedIn trying to connect with people. Like the people that are on there are like the junior account managers or the, like the people who are in these entry-level positions are like, you don't, you can have this vision in mind of like, Hey, I really would like love to work at this company. And you should be honest, but you should be like, but really like, I'm just trying to connect with other people and get to know like what your story is like DM people and reach out like cold emails, whatever. You know, I, I cold emailed Mark Cuban about a job that I had, um, with triptych called who shot Andy Warhol. It was a never before seen photograph of Andy Warhol that was found in a garbage can in the eighties in New York. And I just like, I was like, I had no, I was like, is this Mark Cuban's email? Like it seemed too good to be true, but I was like, if it is, I'm just going to go for it. Email to Mark Cuban. Hey, you know, wondering if you've ever seen a picture like this. Now you have a cool art. He's like, Nope, never seen it. But if you post it on, on, um, lazy.com, then I'll retweet it. And I was like, excuse me, what? He's like, yeah, I'll retweet your job. And he applied, like responded immediately. And I was like, oh my God, like, that's so sick. It wouldn't have hurt me if he never responded. Like it's not, nobody needed to know. Like I've got to, I've got to stop you right there because one of my favorite stories that I tell is when I cold emailed Mark Cuban like three years ago. And he also responded in like 37 seconds. Why is he so good at checking his email? Okay, then you and I both know we won't say it here, but like I was like, this can't be Mark Cuban's email. I'm yeah. like, this is so good. 
I'm like, that's too easy. That's so cool. He's awesome. Oh, yeah, hilarious. Him. What a guy, but it's so cool. I mean, all of that is to just say like, there's no right or wrong way. If you can just like be true to who you are and like have that range, like you never know who you're meeting and like remember everything about people and like keep people in mind. And if you say that you're going to help somebody, like I've told people, I'm like, I'm going to help you get a job. And like three or four months later, I might be like, here's your dream job. Like I'll, yeah. I've never stopped. I've never forgotten. And even if deals don't work out, like if I turn something down or, you know, if I couldn't make something work with super plastic, like I'm always thinking about these people I'm like oh I should connect you with them like that would be a great fit for you like that's how you really like build a network is it all comes back to that community thing and everybody playing a role and like what's the value that you can bring to people like within your position within that community within that network absolutely um Carson this was great um wide-ranging conversation for for folks that want to get in touch with you that want to be part of the community that want to continue learning from you. What's the best place or best places to, uh, to connect with you? Yes. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you for letting me go on and on and talk about myself. <laughs> Great way to start my Friday. Um, I can be followed at Carson daily, like D A I L Y, <laughs> um, on all platforms. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I'm, I'm still popping in and out of clubhouse sometimes, um, anybody I'm like my emails, much like Mark Cuban are always open Carson daily show at <laughs> gmail.com. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm, I am the chief experience officer at 888, the new world, which I'm so excited, you know, to, to launch in uh, a couple months We're we're just working on a couple different things and it's so cool, but there's going to be a lot going on there. And we're really, you know, revolutionizing this NFT space and in the art industry, I think as a whole, um, so definitely keep up with 888 The New World at 888TNW.com. Um, yeah, I'm always open. I'm always down to connect. Like I try to respond to everybody that DMs me and help them in some way or another, whether it's like, how do I get into NFTs? How do I set up a MetaMask wallet to, you know, how do I get more followers on Instagram or, or more people in my Discord channel? Like I'll help as many people as I can. I love it. Well, everyone definitely hit her up. I appreciate you coming on it and congrats again on new city, new job. It's a big year. It's a big year. Thank you so much, Thomas. Great to chat with you. Yeah, you too. What's up, everybody? Thanks for checking out that podcast. Uh, happy July to you. Uh, would love if you took 22 seconds and hit subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this. Uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, your favorite podcast player. And be sure to check out some of my content on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Tom Alamo. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Tommy Tahoe. Have a great day. Make it legendary. Peace.